Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Amen. If you have your Bibles on this Resurrection Sunday, I know all my deep saints say, don't call it Easter, that's pagan. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, uh, Resurrection Sunday. Amen. How many of y'all know y'all need to stop tripping over stuff God ain't tripping over? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <coughs> Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to read one verse of scripture in your hearing, verse 14. When you have it, won't you say, I got it? Amen. If you're still looking, don't worry about it. We brought a Bible to you. It's on the screen. Verse 14 says, now God has not only raised the Lord, but he will raise us, but he will also raise us up through his power. Once again, it says, now God has not only raised the Lord, but he will also raise us up through his power. How many of you believe that? Amen. I want to preach today for a little while using as a subject, don't call it a comeback. Amen. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Last week, I was tempted, really, to preach about this in a completely different way. But then last week, I was uh, watching ESPN and found out that Tiger Woods, after people said he was finished, after critics said he was over, after people said he'd never win another major tournament again, Tiger Woods came to victory in the Masters in what has been called the greatest comeback story in history. And while news reporters and sportscasters were excited about Tiger Woods, the reality is there are even greater stories of comeback sitting in the house this morning. Because if the truth be told over your life, there were seasons where people counted you out. There were circumstances where people said you were finished. There were days in your life where people said you would never recover. And yet you are sitting here in the sanctuary, clothed and in your right mind as proof that God specializes in making great comebacks. We don't have to look to Tiger Woods. We don't have to look to the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers in 2016. We don't have to look at any great sports team to see a comeback. But as a matter of fact, you're sitting in the sanctuary now as proof positive that God is able to bring people back from the brink of destruction that if you really were to look back over your life and to think about everything that you've gone through and think about the fact that there were people just like you who were born the same year you were born who came from similar circumstances as you as you but they're in somebody's cemetery and you're sitting in church this morning you'd have to give God praise over the fact that you serve a 
comeback giving God. As a matter of fact, you are in, in the sanctuary today as the proof that God is able to do what no other power can do. I know it's early in the message, but can you help me touch your neighbor and say, I'm the proof? Yeah. Uh, I know you didn't think God could work miracles, but I'm the proof. I know you didn't think that God could bring a marriage back from divorce, but I'm the proof. I know you didn't think that God could give you that kind of job with not the educational requirements that you need. I know you didn't think that God could give you that kind of house when your credit looked like yours, but I'm the proof that God has the ability to give you a comeback even from situations that everybody said you would not to be not be able to come back from. And whether you know it or not, beloved, that is the message of Easter. Easter is the celebration of the fact that when God said, uh, I was getting ready to, God said, I'm wanting to save my people. Death told God it was over when they killed Jesus on the cross and put him in the tomb. Death started doing a victory dance in front of the tomb. But God said, I specialize in comebacks. And is there anybody here who's glad about the fact that Jesus made a comeback over death? I know, I know we don't shout about that anymore. I know we don't get excited about that anymore. You want somebody to tell you that you're going to get a new car and that you're going to get a new job and that if you're single, you're going to find you a husband or a wife or that something good is going to happen to you. But is there anybody here who's just glad about the fact that Jesus died on your behalf? Yeah, yeah, he died for me and he died for me. God, help me. First of all, he died, hear me, because of me. Somebody say, because of me. Yeah, Jesus did not deserve to die. Jesus was not on his way to death. Jesus was in perfect physical condition. He was in optimal health. He died because of you. You were the reason why he had to die because you were a sinner and on your way to destruction because the Bible says that the wages or the payment for sin is death. But God decided that somebody would die. Oh God, because of you, Jesus was walked up the hill called Calvary. He was nailed in his hands, spiked in his feet, pierced in his side because of you. You needed a savior and Jesus stepped up to the plate. God, help me. Is there anybody who's glad about the fact that you needed a savior and while everybody else was trying to look the other way, Jesus looked at you and said, I'll step in even though you deserve to die. God, help me. I'll step in because of you. But not only did Jesus die because of me, everybody say because of me. Not only did he die because of me, beloved, he died in spite of me. God, help me. Uh, he died, the Bible says, not many men would die for a good man. Although for a just man, some might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, God, help me, Christ died for the ungodly. Let me help somebody who thought that it was crazy that you showed up to church on Easter and you ain't been to church all year. The devil is a liar. God, God said, I came in spite of you. I don't care how dirty you are. Come to me. I don't care how long it's been. Come to me. I looked past your faults on the cross and saw you at the point of your need. I don't care what anybody tries to tell you about coming to me. I made it possible for you to come to me. He says, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You were dirty, but he died. You were filthy, but he died. You were a gossip, but he died. You were a liar but he died. You were a whoremonger but he died. You were judgmental but he died. You were religious but he died. You were rebellious but he died. He died in spite of you. 
Not only, not only did he die because of you, and not only did he die in spite of you, but here's the last one. He died instead of you. God, help me. Yeah. Uh, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. All of you working Americans understand this because you work on a job or have worked on a job or should work on a job. And the expectation for your labor at the end of your pay period is your pay. But when you get your pay, uh, your check stub is not called a check stub technically. It is printed out from uh, HR as either a wage or an earnings statement. Meaning that the fair payment for your labor is the check that you receive at the end of your paycheck. Now, as a sinner, the Bible says you've been punching a sin clock. And you've been working on sin all your life. And because you've been working on sin, the just payment for your labor is what God calls damnation or what Paul in Romans calls death. But on payday 2,000 years ago on Calvary, God didn't let you show up. He sent Jesus to collect your paycheck. God help me. Uh, you should have been there to collect that paycheck on your own. But the Bible says that Jesus showed up instead of you to die on your behalf and to collect the wages of sin on your behalf that it should have been you God help me it could have been you that you should have been the one nailed to the cross you should have been the one that was whipped all night long you should have been the one that was abandoned by your friends and left for dead and had to say goodbye to your mother and walk away from all of your disciples you should have been the one that had to cry out my God my God why have you forsaken me can you imagine Jesus on the cross now God help me he's uh, always been in perfect communion with his father but on the cross God help me Jesus Jesus the son and God the father had a falling out over you God help me uh, Jesus and God stopped being on speaking terms over you God help me you don't get it there was a boy uh, who was raised by his parents and because he was raised by his parents he was always the good son he was in his mommy and daddy's back pocket Hey, they, they, they told him what to do. They ran his life, but then they messed around and sent him to college. And when he went to college, after he graduated, he met a girl that he loved with all of his heart. And uh, he decided that he was going to marry that girl. And he brought his girlfriend home to his parents to introduce the girl to his parents. And uh, uh, the parents said, uh, I don't approve of the girl. Uh, she's not good enough for you. Uh, where does she come from? Who are her people? What kind a pedigree does she have uh, and if you marry this girl because we don't approve of the union we're not going to speak to her when she come around we're not going to acknowledge her when she walk through the door we ain't going to ask her to wipe her feet off we're not going to tell her to put her shoes by the door we're not going to tell her where the restroom is we're not going to speak to her because we don't approve of you committing your life to her God help me 
but the son said to his mother and father he said I love her and I'm committed to her and if you're not going to speak to her then you can't speak to me and on Calvary 2,000 years ago Jesus was committed to a bride that didn't deserve him God help me he was on the cross and his father said why are you giving your life for them people that don't deserve you they don't treat you right they smoke weed on Saturday night they get drunk in the evening time they sleep with folk that they're not married to they call themselves Christians and then hold grudges against one another they show up late to church and then leave early and don't tell anybody about what you've done for them you don't they don't deserve your love but on Calvary Jesus looked at God and said I'm committed to my bride and if you're not going to talk to them then you can't speak to me my God my God why hath thou forsaken me he died because of you he died in spite of you and he died instead of you yeah yeah you got to understand now uh, it was a real death yeah he died and it was a real death uh number one it was a vicious death. Somebody say it was a vicious death. Romans had perfected the art of crucifixion. It was, in fact, an invention of the Persian Empire. But Romans, when they swept through the world like a wind and overtook the rest of the world, they were taught crucifixions by the Persians and then perfected the art of crucifixion. As a matter of fact, uh, 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 Flavius Josephus, the historian, spoke of crucifixion this way. He said, it is the most gruesome form of death, for there are no words fit to describe it. God help me. It was the most vicious form of death. And what the Romans did to hasten the crucifixion process, because crucifixion was actually hanging. It was like a lynching. It was death by suffocation. But to hasten the crucifixion process, what they would do is they would beat whoever was being crucified until their flesh was not recognizable. Can you imagine now Jesus who has committed no crime being marched into a place of judgment, having the clothes stripped off of his back and being beaten and whipped and mutilated and scarred, pressed down into his brow was a crown of thorns so that they could make fun of him because he was called the king of the Jews. It was a vicious death. Jesus was not playing. Oh God, and the Romans were not playing with him. The Bible said that it was a vicious death. So badly did they beat Jesus that the Bible said that he was not even recognizable to those that knew him. The Bible said that he was beat viciously. Oh God, and he was hung on a tree God help me and he was nailed God help me to the tree God help me uh, but how many of you know it was not the nails that held him to the cross God help me that he could have gotten down uh, that he could have ended it all uh, but he took the vicious crucifixion on your behalf it was a vicious death it was a violent death it was a death that men did not come back from and you got to understand the power of crucifixion so that you can appreciate the victory of resurrection. Because the Bible says that Jesus died. He was not comatose. He was not catatonic. 
He was not in shock. The Bible says that he died. As a matter of fact, to make sure that he was dead. The Bible says that a Roman soldier took a javelin spike and stuck it between the bones of his rib and pierced his heart. God, help me. And the writer says that out of his side did not just come blood, but the Bible says blood and water. Now, you don't understand that, uh, but let me help you. I'm a heart patient, so let me help you understand that. When the heart ceases to beat, the, bi uh, the uh, biology teaches us that the the heart pumps water and fluid off of itself but when it ceases to beat water fills up in the heart so when blood and water came out of the side it was a sign that the spear did not kill Jesus but that he had already hung and died on the cross when he said father into your hands I commit my spirit he had already died on your behalf he died I'm gonna come back to that uh it was a vicious death. But not only was it a vicious death, it was a vicarious death. Yeah. Because it was a vicarious death, he died in your place. He, he died for you. Uh, he didn't just die for you. But his death, is viewed by God as your death. That he is the Passover lamb. He is the scapegoat. He is the sacrifice, the sin offering for your sin. That because he died in your place, the Bible tells us that the wrath of God was poured out and is satisfied. That God is no longer seeking to see you die for your sins because Jesus died for your sins. God help me. I want to help somebody understand this. God is not some old man like your father sitting up in heaven waiting with his belt to punish you for what you've done wrong. Because the Bible said that he's poured out the breath of his wrath, the fullness of his wrath for sin upon Jesus Christ. That's why God said he is not willing that any should perish for sin but that all should come to repentance God says I've already poured out my wrath on you now why does this matter Pastor Josh it matters because so many of y'all think that God is upset with you for what you did last night God help me uh, you think God is upset with you for the sin of your past and for the mess of your present and for your bad habits and for the things that you just can't get right we think that God is waiting up in heaven trying to get us back for things that we did years ago but the devil is a liar you got to understand that Jesus died vicariously that it's already been tried and you can't try somebody twice for the same crime Jesus has already taken the brunt of sin he died because of you he died in spite of you and he died instead of you and the death was not some mythological reality. It was actually a historical fact that he died and it was a vicious death and it was a vicarious death. But can I tell you the beauty of the death and I promise y'all I'm about done now. Uh, the beauty of the death is not only was it a vicious death and not only was it a vicarious death, beloved, but it was a victorious death. God help me. 
that the death of Jesus Christ accomplished just what God wanted it to accomplish. That the death of Jesus Christ ended your battle with sin, death, hell, and the grave. So when we sing a hallelujah, you've won the victory. That's more than just the words to a song, but that is the reality of the righteous and the redeemed. That is the reality that we walk in, that because of Jesus, his victory is now our victory, that I'm no longer fighting for the victory, but I'm now fighting from the victory, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, I now never have to be bound again. I can be free. So then, that's where we penetrate the periphery of this particular pericope because Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is talking about how the body belongs to the Lord. There's some good, I grew up holiness, there are some good holiness passages in here, you know, where it talks about that you don't take the members of Christ and join them with prostitutes, that it says that God made the body for his use and not for the use of sin. But Paul drops this verse 14 in the middle of passage, almost as a random thought, as an aside, as a by the way, as a caveat to what he's talking about. It almost seems as if it does not match in the circumference of the text because he's talking about how the body belongs to the Lord but it's almost like while Paul is talking about the Lord he messes around and gets happy and wants to give you a redemptive reality as you're seeking to live life for God and what he says is now while you're trying to live for the Lord you got to remember that God has not only raised the Lord but he will also raise us up through his power. God help me. That God says that Jesus' resurrection is not just resurrection for resurrection's sake, but Jesus' resurrection is God's guarantee that no matter what happens to you in life, it cannot hold you down if you are united with Christ. God help me. Oh God, you got to understand the beauty of this. Paul is arguing, 1 Corinthians now is an argument, God help me, about the resurrection of the dead. There were some people in Corinth who are saying crazy things that Jesus did not physically resurrect from the dead because there is no resurrection from the dead that people don't actually get up but Paul writes 1 Corinthians to this Corinthian church to remind them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 he says it just like this if Christ be not risen then our preaching is in vain if Christ be not risen then our hope is in vain he said how dare you say that there is no resurrection from the dead because if there's no resurrection from the dead then there is no hope for us and we are of all men most miserable Paul says that Jesus got up from the grave you got to understand this now, beloved. You can't appreciate it if you don't get this, that Jesus got up from the grave. It was a historical resurrection, that it was documented. God, help me. Not only did he appear to Mary and Mary, not only did he appear to the disciples and to Peter, not only did he appear to them walking on the shore, but the Bible says that he appeared to more than 40 people and then to more than 120 people that saw him. He got up from the grave. And I know you're wondering why I'm hammering home the nail of the physical resurrection. But the reason why I'm doing it is because you need to understand that if God can raise Jesus from the dead, then what hard, then how hard is it for him 
to fix your marriage. God, help me. If God raised Jesus from the dead, then how hard is it for him to fix your finances? If, if God raised Jesus from the dead, then how difficult is it going to be for him to resurrect your dead situation? God is able to resurrect you from, from the dead. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, if God raised Jesus from the dead, then there is nothing that can hold you down. If God, I, I'm going to say it till you get it. I, I, now, this ain't for all my bougie stuck up folk that just came because somebody invited them. This is uh, for people who really got something going on in their lives. And you've been coming to church all year long trying to fake it till you make it because you don't know if anybody can handle all the stuff that you're going through. And you're in a place right now, a safe place where you can be real about your situation. You ain't got to tell nobody your business, but just hear the word of the Lord. If God raised Jesus from the dead, God help me. Death was the final enemy of creation. It was the first and final enemy of creation because God created us to never die. But because of sin, 1 Corinthians 15, 21, because of Adam, sin entered into the deoxyribonucleic acid of every human being. Sin is in your bloodline. That's why David said in Psalm 51, I was born in sin and I was shaping in, in iniquity. Sin brought death into the world. It was the first and final enemy of creation. Because of death, leaves on trees that were supposed to be evergreen now fall to the ground in August. Because of death, we now have to practice saying goodbye to loved ones who we feel like we're supposed to be attached to forever. Because of death, fruit that's supposed to be available all year round rots when it comes off of the vine. Death is the enemy of creation. But creation did not have the capacity to fight death on its own. And so the Bible says that Jesus got into the ring with death. And by him dying, he put death to death. God, help me. Oh, God. Uh, you got to understand it now. You got to, you got to understand it. Uh, if you die, then death would have been victorious because your death was deserved. God, help me. Death would have got its just due. But when death took Jesus, it had to vomit him back up. God, help me. He disrupted death's digestive system. God, help me. Because death had ingested somebody that didn't belong there. God, help me. Death had taken somebody that did not deserve to die. And so he had to give him up. And when he gave him up, Jesus took the power over death so I gotta ask you now what's dying in your life 
What, what's dying in your life? What, what do you have in your life that's on life support? What do you have in your life that seems like it'll never get up again? God, I feel like preaching. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live again. What's dying in your life? I am the resurrection and the life. And if anybody believes in me and doesn't die, they'll never die. God help me. Jesus said, I've got resurrection power. And I've got the power to make everything brand new. I tried my best. Uh, let, let me close like this then. Uh, uh, I was trying, was trying to figure out how to, how to explain this principle that Christ, through his resurrection, has the power to give you a comeback. And I, I never want to be accused of being dull, uh, being predictable. Everybody going to preach about tiger. Everybody, every preacher got a tiger wood clothes. And, and, you know, one of my friends called me on FaceTime. He was practicing his clothes. He said, Doc, I'm going to bring a golf club out. And I'm going to say, you're coming back again. You, you're coming. And uh, <laughs> I said, since everybody doing that, uh, let, let, let me try to do something different. Um, <laughs> I had got I, I, I had some scratches on a vehicle of mine uh, and um, I, I, was, I was really upset Mike because I thought I was going to have to get my whole vehicle painted I thought that I was going to have to get the whole vehicle painted because the scratches were deep they were ugly they bothered me I'm kind of a perfectionist with my stuff I don't like to get scratches on my phone for my screen to get cracked. I don't like none of that stuff. And so I got these scratches on the side of this beautiful vehicle. And uh, I, I'm upset about them, Alana, because I'm like, man, I got to get these scratches fixed. And so I, I find this guy. He, uh, <laughs> check out the name of his shop. Try not to shout. It was Big Man Auto Body Paint and, check this out, Restoration. And uh, so I went to the shop uh, with money in my pocket expecting to have to pay to get my car painted. And uh, big man walked out to me. He was a big man, he, big man. Uh, he walked out to me, uh, cigarette in his mouth. And I don't, I don't wanna offend nobody. Uh, I'm not from Jacksonville. And so, uh, you know, some of y'all talk regular, but some of y'all got that deep. It's not even like a Florida thing. It's like a South Georgia accent. I have no idea what you say. And he came out to me with a cigarette hanging off his lips. I said, what do you want me to do for that for you now? <clears throat> I said, excuse me? What do you want me to do for you I said, oh, I'm the one that uh, emailed you about the truck. Could, could you take a look at it? Yeah, let me see what you want me to do for you now. Put it around here now. Let me see. I said, okay. I'm going to pull it around here and let you see it. And uh, I think that's what you said. I'm not sure. I'm from Nebraska. Uh, so I pulled the truck around. I let him see. Uh, let him see the scratches. 
He says, show me all the damage. Not just this part that you brought. He says, show me all the damage. I said, well, man, that's bad. He says, show me. I said, I don't got enough money for you to take care of all of it. Just take care. He said, no, show me all of the damage. So I walk him around the truck and I show him every scar that's on the truck, every nick that's on the truck, every dent that's on the truck, every scar that's on the other side. Matter of fact, he finds scars that I didn't even know were there because he's trained for auto body paint and restoration. You see me coming? So he walks around the truck and sends me inside. He said, Go on under there, cold soda in there. Gonna get you some cold soda. Sit down. I'll be that back. I said, I'm gonna go inside and grab one of those cold sodas in there. And when you're done, hopefully you'll come get me. I don't know if that's what you said. I'm from Nebraska. So I go in there and I sit. He comes to get me in about 45 minutes. He brings me out to my truck. And my truck looks like he's painted. The whole truck. So I think I know what I'm talking about. I said, so, hey, man, uh, how long I got to wait for the paint to dry? He says, no, I didn't paint your car. All of the scratches were not on the paint. They were on the clear coat. So all I had to do was restore the clear coat. And now your truck is as good as new. And so I said, man, how much I owe you? Now, I came prepared to pay for a whole paint job, had the money in my pocket. I said, how much I owe you? He says, uh, you give me about $40. I said, what? He said, you give me about $40. I said, oh, doc, that's the clearest thing you said all day. I'm going to give you 80 because I came prepared to pay more. Now, that's not the shouting part. A few days ago, uh, Couple members of my staff, we had just got out of a staff meeting and I pulled my truck around after the staff meeting and a few members of my staff were standing outside and they asked me, they said, oh, Pastor Josh, did you get the truck painted? And I said, no, I didn't get it painted. I went and got it restored. God help me. And they said, it looks like you got it painted. And on the inside, I said, that's the point. God says that I want to restore you. And the problem with many of us getting restored is some of y'all are like me. You show up to the body shop called the church acting like you already know what's wrong and you only want to show the master the parts of the truck you want him to fix. God help me. The parts of your life that you're comfortable with him fixing. But Jesus said walk me around the whole car. God help me. Don't show me what happened when you were 30. Show me what happened when you were 17. Show me what happened when you were 12. Show me what happened when you went to college. Show me all of the things that happened to you and so Jesus says when you show it to me now go inside and sit down because I don't need any of your help to make you new God help me and some of us are outside trying to tell Jesus now Jesus uh, you get a little too close to that spot now Jesus don't touch my relationship now Jesus don't touch my money now Jesus don't touch my stuff now Jesus don't touch my, my children Jesus now don't touch my career but Jesus said go in there and sit down because when you come out God help me it's going to cost it's going to look brand new but can I tell you why Jesus is better than big man auto painting body because big man gave me a discount
Jesus did it for free. God help me. Uh, is there anybody here? God help me. I feel like preaching now. Is there anybody here that's glad that Jesus did it for free? Uh, oh God, I know we got a young church and I know we're millennial. Don't let the skinny jeans and Chelsea boots fool you. Is there anybody here who knows that Jesus paid it all? Come on, Mike. I feel like having church. Jesus paid it all. Uh, and all to him I owe. Uh, sin had left the crimson stain, uh, but he washed me. Uh, whiter than snow. Uh, is there any Anybody here on an Easter Sunday morning that's ready to give God praise and glory because he raised up on your behalf that he got up just for you. I know it don't take a lot to shout me, but is there anybody here that's just like me who's glad that he got up? Yes, Lord. Oh, I gotta do it for all my Baptist folk. My daddy called me early this morning. He said to me, he said, son, I know your mama and them are from the church of God in Christ. He said, but we Baptist folk. And he said, when you get up today, you gotta do it for all of the Baptist folk. That means that you gotta beat him. You gotta march him. You gotta kill him. And you gotta get him up again. Well, can I do it one time? For the culture. I'm sorry, y'all. I gotta do it one time. Is there anybody here that's glad about it? Who knows that one Friday he died. Yes, Lord. They beat him all night long. They whipped him with a cat of nine tails. They whipped him with a baton. They whipped him until the blood flowed from his back. Hemorrhaging. They whipped him until they pulled chunks of meat out of his back. They him until he was indistinguishable. They whipped him, but not only did they whip him, but they put a 210-pound cross on his back, and they marched him up the Via Della Rosa. They marched him up the hill far away to a mountain called Golgotha, to a
down their crowns around the glassy sea of glory. He died until the sun refused to shine. He died, didn't he die? He died, didn't he die? But is there anybody here who knows that that's not how the story ends? Three days later, Love. 